KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Hi, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie. Actor and writer Jason Siegel first got on people's radar in 1999 when he was cast in Judd Apatow's TV show Freaks and Geeks. He cemented his fame in 2008 when he starred in and wrote the Judd Apatow-produced comedy Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Three years later, he helped the Muppets reestablish themselves on the big screen with The Muppets, a new musical about getting the Muppet gang back together. In it, he got to sing the Oscar-winning song, Manor Puppet, written by Flight of the Concords Brett McKenzie. In 2013, he announced he was co-writing a series of young adult novels, the first one entitled Nightmares. With the end of the tour, Siegel attempts his most serious role yet as late author David Foster Wallace. The film is based on the book by Rolling Stone writer David Lipsky, and it focuses on the five-day road trip the two men shared in 1996 during Wallace's book tour for Infinite Jest. I spoke with Siegel last month at the Hard Rock Hotel in San Diego. I'm Beth Accomando, and this is the Cinema Junkie Podcast. I am speaking with Jason Siegel, who plays David Foster Wallace in the new film, The End of the Tour. Thank you very much for talking with me. That's my pleasure. So what kind of research did you do when you took on this role? Did you actually get to listen to any of these tapes? Yeah, I had access to David Lipsky's tapes from from this interview, which was really, really helpful. Um, What struck me most from listening to the tapes was that for as weighty as some of the moments were and some of the discussions, there are also five-minute mundane conversations about what's on the radio. And that was really important taking into the movie because you need to want to be in the back of the car on this road trip with these two guys. And if it's just two people talking smart for four days, um, that's not a trip I want to be on. And luckily in listening to the tapes, it was the most, it was the most interesting road trip I've ever taken part in. When I think of this trip, I see David and me in the front seat of his car. He wants something better than he has. I want precisely what he has already. So I listened to those tapes. I had some interviews I could uh, listen to. He did Charlie Rose around the time of this uh, story. And, And then I read. I just read everything I could get my hands on. And I think Infinite Jest informed the performance more than anything. And were you familiar with him before you got the role? Yeah, I had read the short-form nonfiction, like a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again and Consider the Lobster, which are as funny and insightful as anything I've ever read. But Infinite Jest really did it for me. And it's a challenge. I mean, it's a 1,000-plus pages, and it's hard. And sometimes you want to throw that book against the wall, if you're perfectly honest. But getting through it makes you feel um, smart. It makes you feel like you've accomplished something. And that's part of his intent, is to remind you, like, no, you're capable you're capable of this. One thing that I think is kind of hard to do in film is convey like an artist a genius, especially when it's something like someone's a writer like, yeah. to a painter. So how did you tackle that aspect of it? Was there something you wanted to do to make sure you conveyed what he was as an artist? Well, I think that, um, you know, I write as well. Uh, I've written a few of the movies that I've done. And I write a s- series of books, nothing like Infinite Jest. Um, and Jesse writes as well. Jesse writes plays and, and pieces for The New Yorker. We're both writers. And one of the things that I think is interesting about writing is that it's so much time alone. It's so much time saying, no, I can't meet you for dinner. 
you know, for months. For me, that's months. If it's a screenplay or um, you know, one of these children's novels that I write, I have a partner, and so we work back and forth. So I'll work in two or three month bursts. To write something like Infinite Jest is years and years of no, I can't meet you for dinner. And it's something that I think is probably pretty easily lost in the um, sort of romantic idea of writing a novel. And it's a very particular type of person who has that sort of dedication, has that sort of discipline, um, can tolerate the loneliness, and also can hold on to this idea that what I am writing is worth it. That people are going to want to read this, and they're going to want to devote their attention to it. It's a very particular personality type. And so I tried to bring some of that into it because I've experienced it. You know, I think any artist is operating under the idea that what they are trying to express is worthy of people uh, focusing their attention on and listening to it. And hopefully you're right. And if you're wrong, it's a terrible delusion, you know. Well, I think part of that comes through in, I wouldn't say he's socially inept, but there's a certain social awkwardness that you get from the character that yeah. seems to be from someone who doesn't spend a lot of time with people. Yeah, well, I think there's that. I think there's also, when all you want to do is be part of the group, but you are almost always, if not always, the biggest brain in the room, it must be a pretty tough thing, you know, to be uh, constantly aware of what everyone is doing. Doing, do you know what I mean? And just trying to be present is probably a very tricky thing. It's like um, your interior life is not matching up with your exterior life. Well, also at one point he says that he wants to be the one who's also observant yeah. of those people in the room, which again kind of pulls you out from totally, active. totally. Um, it's an interesting. It's the interesting um, dichotomy in, in a writer is that. You, uh, you are constantly on the job. Um, and the only way to counter your feelings of loneliness from the job is to be a part of something that you can never really fully be in the moment with. You know, you know what I would love to do, man? I would love to do a profile on one of you guys who's doing a profile on me. Mm, that is interesting. Or is that too pomo and cute? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe for Rolling Stone. But it would yeah. be interesting, though. You think? Uh, I'm sorry, man. What's wrong? It's just you're going to go back to New York and like sit at your desk and shape this thing however you want. And that, I mean, to me, it's just extremely disturbing. <laughs> Why is it disturbing? Because I think I would like to shape the impression of me that's coming across. I yeah. I, I, I don't even know if I like you yet. I'm so nervous about whether you like me. What was the most important thing that you wanted to convey about him? Well, I think there is a tendency to want to sort of deify your idols or somebody like David Foster Wallace who spoke so beautifully to so many people. I think what's really important about David Foster Wallace is that he's one of us. If um, they're responding to your work and your work is really personal, then reading you is another way of meeting you, isn't that right? That's so good. Thank you. I don't know why you mean to me. I think that if there's a sort of sadness for people under 45, it has something to do with pleasure and achievement and entertainment. Like a sort of emptiness at the heart of what they thought was going on. I don't know. I got a real serious fear of being a certain way. I treasure my regular guyness. You don't crack open a thousand page book because you heard the author is a regular guy. You do it because he's brilliant. 
And I think that is what was really important to him in his writing, is that uh, if you read Infinite Jastery, or you read his short form stuff too, it's someone saying, hey, for the next thousand pages, or for the next 10 pages, I'm you. And allow me to sort of illuminate some things that maybe you haven't noticed. Or let's talk about some things that maybe you didn't even know that you were feeling. So I think that one of the things I really wanted to communicate is this is, a, this is one of us. Flawed, brilliant, imperfect. Can you do me a favor? Yes. Can you tell me about that poster over there? Alanis? Yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm susceptible like everybody else. What? I mean, she's pretty, all right, but it is like she is the pretty. only thing in there. She's pretty in a very sloppy, very human way. Huh. You know, she's got this like squeaky, orgasmic quality to her voice. Here's what it is. A lot of women in magazines are pretty in a way that is not erotic because they don't look like anybody that you know. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah, like you can't imagine them putting a quarter in a parking meter or like eating a bologna sandwich. Whereas Alanis Morissette, I can and have imagined her like, just like chowing down on a bologna sandwich. <laughs> I find her absolutely riveting. Do you think this film would be a richer experience for people who are familiar with his work already, or can you come to this cold without knowing anything about it? It's a really good question. Um, I think the answer is both. I think what's really, um, I think if you, if you know who David Foster Wallace is, and if you know who David Lipsky is, it adds to the fun of the movie because uh, you're sort of familiar with the themes. But what I think the movie is really about has nothing to do with David Foster Wallace or David Lipsky. I think what the movie is about is this terrifying moment when things go as well as they can possibly go and you realize you still feel the same. And I think that's a very universal moment. I think people, people arrive at it at their mid-30s. Um, because in your 20s, you're really working towards something. If I just get there, I'm going to feel a certain way. And you're able to sort of work under the, um, under the illusion that maybe I feel this way because I'm just not there yet. And then finally in your mid-30s, you realize, oh, maybe there's no there. And that's, that's the moment this movie is about. Now, there's some scenes where he directly kind of talks about being a writer and what it's like being a writer. Yeah. So as a writer yourself, did yeah. any of those scenes really click for you and, and, and hit a note of truth? Yeah, well, there was one line that made me want to do the movie when I first got the script. And it was, now I have to face the reality. I'm 34 years old, alone in a room with a piece of paper. That's before the book tour has even ended. Um, that's, I think, the reality of being a writer or any, any pursuit, any endeavor is as soon as you do the thing that you've been trying to do, <laughs> it's time to do it again, you know, unless you maybe place your value someplace else. And one of the scenes that I thought was really effective was when he talks about jumping from a burning building. Yeah. That was really strong. What was that like to do? It was scary. That was the second day of shooting. Um, <laughs> Nothing like starting at a yeah. difficult point. Well, it was really interesting. Um, it was, uh, you know, that was one of the most beautiful passages from Infinite Jest, that analogy. He talks really beautifully about depression in that book. And another thing that he says in that book is a girl gets brought into the hospital after a failed suicide attempt. And 
the, the doctor says, why did you want to hurt yourself? And she shakes her head and she says, you'll never be able to help me. You think that I wanted to hurt myself? I was trying to end the pain. And I think that um, it really informed the performance and it really spoke to me to that this is a man who was willing to go the places that we try to suppress. Because I know that if, if you're watching this, you have had feelings in your own way that that relates to. Um, this I can't take it anymore uh, kind of feeling. And I think that you walk away from the movie with um, some really interesting conversation to be had. Now, I read that this was one of the screenplays that was highly rated as one of the unproduced yeah. screenplays for a long time that it had been on the shelf. Do you have a sense, after having made the film, do you have a sense of why it might have sat on the shelf and then why it might have suddenly become more attractive to be made? Yeah, well, um, the script is written by Donald Margulies, who is an amazing writer. Uh, he's won the Pulitzer Prize. Um, I think a script like this probably sits on the shelf because um, there is, it's not a giant tentpole movie. There's no explosions. Um, and that's the kind of movie that is profitable these days. And um, I think that why a movie like this would get made now is I think that there is some reaction and I think there is a hunger for movies that... Um, serve a different artistic function than those kind of movies. Those kind of movies are escapism, and there is definitely a great place for them. I like watching them, you know? Um, but I think that this serves a different function where you watch the movie and you walk away with whoever you saw the movie with, um, and you go to dinner and you talk. That's a really important function of film, of art in general, and it's really exciting to be a part of that. And one last thing. What yeah. do you feel most proud of now that the film's done? I feel most proud of that everybody involved gave everything that they had to the movie. Um, that's a really special thing. When you're working at this kind of budget and in these kind of conditions, it was uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and the, um, the dead of winter is negative 15 degrees. Um, you're doing it because you love it. And it reminded me of being um, you know, in high school thinking, I want to do this someday and I'm going to make it happen no matter what it takes. That's what the process of making this movie felt like, and it was really special. All right, well, thank you very much thank for Thank you. Me. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's me talking as a tape recorder. I'm smoking. Having just said I wouldn't smoke, I'm smoking. Just me and your tape recorder. Thanks for listening to my interview with Jason Siegel about the end of the tour. This week, you can also find my review of the film on my new KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. This is a new endeavor for me, so please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give it a rating. Or send me your feedback on Twitter at Cinebeth or on the Cinema Junkie Facebook page. Each week I'll be reviewing new films and serving up new interviews or ones pulled from my three decades of archives. Check out Sir Ian McKellen talking about adapting Shakespeare or Simon Pegg discussing the pop culture references for Hot Fuzz. Satisfy your celluloid addiction with my Cinema Junkie podcast, where you can mainline film 24-7. Thanks for listening. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.